Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Rocky, it is great to be back with you. Uh, I, I gotta confess, though, I've changed since I was last year. And I, I feel like for the sake of our relationship, I need to be upfront with you about that. What's changed about me is that I am now the proud owner of my own pair of Croc shoes. Do we have any Croc fans in the house today? All right, Nywat, let me hear you. Do we have any Croc fans? Okay, do you guys know, I found this out yesterday, my hotel that I stayed in was 10 minutes away from Croc headquarters. I mean, I was like, how, how have I never known this? Like, I, next time I'm out, it's going to be a week-long trip. I mean, I got to, like, see some things. But here's the deal. If you've ever put on a pair of Crocs, you know they are the most comfortable shoe you'll ever wear. The most practical shoe can be worn in almost any situation. So you go, well, Jeremy, why don't more people wear them? Because they invite feedback. Okay? That's the nicest way I could say it. If you wear a pair of Crocs, you are inviting others to comment on your shoe wear. Uh, and, and it's not comfortable for a lot of people. I had a barber uh, a couple of weeks ago was telling me about this. And he's like, I just got my pair of Crocs. And I'm like, that's ah, weird. And he's like, you got to try it. So we happened to be on vacation. We were right next to a Croc store. And I'm like, let's, let's just try it out. You know, let's, let's go see. So we go put these shoes on. And I was hooked. And so I was like, we have to get them. We walk out, I have, I have five kids. Uh, all seven of us in our family had a pair of Crocs as the time we were leaving. And it was just like a thing we had to do. Um, and, and here's the deal. If you, <laughs> I'm just inviting more criticism. If you know Crocs, they come with accessories. <laughs> accessories are little pins and stuff you can put into the actual part of your shoe just to like show bling off, you know, of like customizing it. And so we had to get everyone accessories in our family. And so we're all picking out and I'm looking at, and I just think this whole thing is funny. And the funniest accessory I found was a bottle opener, literally a bottle opener, like to be put on your shoe. And I'm like, that's so funny. I have to get it. And my wife's like, you will never wear that. Why are you getting it? And I said, I don't know, like a party trick. Like, can you imagine I'm at some social gathering and I pull this off my shoe? My wife looks at me and she goes, Jeremy, no one is inviting you to a party with those shoes. <laughs> Fair enough. But here's the deal. Why don't more people wear Crocs? Because let's be honest, we don't like criticism. I don't like criticism. You don't like criticism. And when it comes to our faith, we don't like criticism. We don't like to believe things that someone else looks at and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? You, you believe that? And, and so today I want to talk about the resurrection. And I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you today, go to John chapter 5. We're going to look at one of my absolute favorite passages that, not to exaggerate, has literally changed the way I, I read the Bible and, and, and much of how I see Jesus in this uh, simple passage we're going to look at today. But I want to look at something we believe that, that there are others who look at us and go, really? You, you believe Jesus like came back to life, huh? You, you're one of those people. And maybe you've had that moment where you're like, I, I want to believe it. I think I believe it. But I feel a little bit silly. We, we don't like criticism. But we're going to continue in this unbelievable series. And I'm going to do something that uh, is not normal to do in church. I, I want to read some quotes from an atheist today. 
I want to read some quotes from someone who looks at what you and I believe and goes, you are stupid for believing that. But I want to consider why. What is the argument against the resurrection? Because if we're going to have a good reason to believe it, we need to at least know what are other people saying? Why do they think it makes no sense to to put our faith in the person of Jesus? And and so I want to share with you a few quotes. This comes from a book by Sam Harris uh, called Letter to a Christian Nation. Now, I, I have read this book, and so I don't want to be one of those people that's bashing something that they haven't read. And, and truthfully, I don't even want to bash it because much of what Sam says is accurate. Much of his criticism against the church and against Christians, I would say he, he has a point if, if we're willing to listen to it. And so I want to share a few of these quotes. And again, depending on your personality, this may feel to you like you just wore your first pair of Crocs, okay? So it may feel like you just invited someone to criticize you. Like, whoa, 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 I I don't know about this. But let's just listen to to what others who would look at our faith and go, I can't believe you believe that. Why? Why do they say that? Here's some things that Sam Harris says in his book. He says, relieving suffering seems to rank rather low on your list of priorities as a Christian. And, and I would say, you know, I've grown up in the church, been a pastor for years. I, I, I would agree. There's a lot of Christians that don't care that much about suffering of others, and, and Sam points it out. He says this, We might also wonder in passing, which is more moral, helping people purely out of concern for their suffering or helping them because you think the creator of the universe will reward you for it. Got a point. He says, the conflict between science and religion is reducible to a simple fact of human cognition and discourse. Either a person has good reasons for what he believes, or he does not. Again, that makes sense. And then he gets to this point, I think is one of the the ultimate points in his book, and and one of the main criticisms he has against Christianity. He says this, either the Bible is just an ordinary book written by mortals, or it isn't. Either Christ was divine, or he was not. If the Bible is an ordinary book, and Christ an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the history of Christian theology is the story of bookish men parsing a collective delusion. Now, let's just sit in that for a second, catch our breath. Those are some reasons why people would look at things that you might believe and say that makes no sense. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever had some of those doubts? You ever had some of those thoughts? And, and that maybe you didn't leave your faith, maybe you didn't walk away from it, but you went, yeah, I, I'm wondering a little bit about this. And I think Sean last week did such an incredible job making room for doubts, right? It's not, it's not like, oh, I have to abandon this all if I have a doubt. No, just to make space for it, to say, how do we work through our doubts and, and emerge on the other side with even a greater faith than we had before? And for many of us, I can speak for myself, I've resonated with some of these thoughts. I go, yeah, what about that? How do we know how to process that? And so maybe you're wondering, like, how do we get here in Christianity? How do we get to this place where, where people can take shots at it and, and Christianity as a whole seems kind of weird right now and, and there's this group of Christians that would say that and this group of Christians that would say that and, and how do we know? 
How do we know what's important? How do we know what this is all built on? How do we know what, what really, you know, our faith is, is most central, uh, what's most central to it? How, how do we figure all that out? Or, or has something been lost in translation? There's an illustration I can give you that, that I think helps me understand it. And so I want to show you a little video. Uh, this is a cooking recipe. And I want you to watch how this recipe is made. Check this out. Who's hungry? Now, I'm assuming, Naiwa, you guys had the same reaction we had in the room here, but people are audibly laughing as the video keeps going because you think that ends like three times. Like, oh, it's a, it's a this, oh, it's a this. And you're just like, what is this thing becoming and why are they still going? Like, why, why is that, you know, continually going? And if you want to know what that is called, there's a name for it. That's the deep fried barbecue chicken stuffed pizzadilla if you wanted to order that for, for lunch today. But here's the question, like, like, what is the recipe for Christianity? 
What, what is it like, like, you should stop here. Like, this is what it's about. And, and do you think that maybe we, we kept going a little bit? We started adding some other ingredients. We started cooking it again. And, and people go, what, what is that? I, I don't even know what that is. And so it kind of tastes like it. It looks kind of like it. But, but it's also taken on a, a life of its own. How do we know the most important things when it comes to Christianity? When someone like Sam Harris looks at us and says, this doesn't make any sense. What do we go back to go, no, here's what I'm confident in. Here's what I can put my faith in and I, and I can be well grounded. Uh, earlier this year, our family moved from Oregon to Arizona. And uh, when we were leaving Oregon, our last month was when all the fires were happening in Oregon. And, and our house was in the evacuation zone. And so we were noticing the different threat levels. And we got to uh, one of the levels where they literally said, start packing your vehicle. And, and I had never been in this place before. I had to look at my house and think, what are we taking with us if the rest of it's not going to make it? And so we're literally looking at our vehicle and like, all right, uh, once we have all of us in there, there's not a ton of room, like what things would we bring? And so my wife, Michelle, and I, we both go upstairs and we're like, all right, let's start packing. We'll just put stuff on the bed of whatever we think is absolutely necessity. And, and we start doing this. And very quickly, I realized her idea of a necessity and my idea, very different. I'm bringing like bare bones, I can carry this in my arms down into our vehicle. Uh, she had dress shirts, workout clothes, kids' baby clothes. I'm like looking at her, I'm like, honey, what? kids' baby clothes? She's like, what? Those are memories. I'm like, We're, we don't need that. Like that's not what's most important. And yet this is hard for us, right? And we don't all agree on the things that are most important. And so I want to spend a few moments going, what's most important when it came to Jesus? What's most important for us today if we say, hey, we want to be Christian, we want to have our faith grounded, we want to, to, to make sense of this, what is the most important thing? And, and to that I would ask a question, and this is, I, I think, a clarifying question to help us get at our own answer. And here's the question. Is Christianity about a book or an event? We can just start there. Is Christianity about a book or is it about an event? A lot of times you'll hear Christians refer to as we are people of the book. And we can think, yeah, our, our faith is, is built on this. But I want to challenge that for a little bit and go, well, what are we actually based on? Because the way we answer this question will determine the future of the church in America. The way we answer this question will determine whether or not our kids might call themselves Christians in the future. So, so what, what did Jesus say? How did Jesus make sense of this? In John 5, there's a conversation Jesus is having with the religious leaders. These were the people that knew the book for them was the Old Testament, right? Uh, they didn't call it that. We understand it as that. But, but all the old scriptures that, that, that they would have had that we can look back and read now, that, that was their text. And, and they studied it diligently. They knew it. They had committed their lives. These were religious leaders. Literally, that was their full-time occupation, and Jesus has these words to say to them in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39. He says, you study scriptures, again, to us, the Old Testament, diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? Yeah, we're going to find eternal life in these scriptures. He says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's an incredible idea. Jesus is looking at these people who have committed their lives to studying the Old Testament. And he's saying, you study that because you think you're going to find life in it. But you don't realize all of that points to me. And you won't come to me to find life. 
And so according to Jesus, uh, you will not find life in the Bible. Uh, According to Jesus, you will only find your life in him. So we read the Bible to find Jesus, to, to find our life in the person of Jesus. So what did Jesus do that, that changed the world? What did Jesus do that now we, we look back on and now we have this inherited faith? Was it his teaching? Was it his death? I'd suggest it, the fact that he came back to life. That, that probably sealed the deal for most people. When they saw that, they went, okay, there's something here that's different than everything else we've ever seen. Uh, Sean shared a quote last weekend from Andy Stanley, and I, I love this quote, and I, I heartily agree with it. It says, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we should go along with whatever that person says, right? I, I, I'm kind of a simple guy. That seems to make sense for me. If Jesus predicts it, and then he does it, and no one else has ever done it, I'm going, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. What else, what else do you want me to do? Well, like, I, I can go off of that. See, Christianity is built on, the recipe is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The death shows us what kind of a God this is, and the resurrection points us back to that, and it affirms that that is valid, that that display of power works. As my friend Greg Boyd says, the resurrection is God's endorsement of the cross. The resurrection is saying, see that? That's what works. That is who I am. That is how I'm going to make the world right. That's how all things will be put back together. And so why do I believe in the resurrection? Let me tell you why. Because the early church was born without the Bible. Now, you may not have ever thought about this, but, but the early church was, was born without this. We might envision, you know, Peter and Paul having a, a Bible study in the morning, having devotions together and reading through. They didn't have it. Uh, it wasn't around for them. And, and you might just assume, yeah, they, of course they had it. We, we can actually trace back historically the first time that the books of the Bible, as we understand it, were ever written out, were ever put into the order that we understand as the Bible. It was by a guy uh, named Athanasius, who was the Bishop of Alexandria. The year was 367. If you're doing the math in your head, that's about 300 years after it was written down that it was compiled together in the form that we now understand as the Bible. You go, wow, they they didn't have what we had available. So this church that is growing and multiplying and exponentially reaching out didn't even have the resource that you and I likely take so for granted today. There's a second reason why uh, the church was born without the Bible, and that's because most people couldn't read. In fact, there's one New Testament scholar that says it like this. Most early Christians, like most other people throughout the empire, including Jews, were illiterate. Now again, we live in a period of of history where most people can read. So we just assume that that's always been the case. But if you go back through history, and it was dominated by, by the majority of people who could not read. Which is why there's parts of the Bible, especially the New Testament, that give us a little glimpse of this behind the curtain. For example, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, they would gather together in a home and someone would literally read Paul's letter, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. They would gather together and and someone who could read would read to the rest of them that couldn't read. And so again, you're going, wait, what? 
So you might be feeling a little disequilibrium. They didn't have the Bible. What did they have then? How did this thing grow? What what, what was the, the catalyst behind it? And the answer is they had what they had seen. They didn't have the text that we have. They weren't able to say, they weren't able to have a quiet time the way you and I can. They didn't have that resource available to them. But they had watched Jesus. They had seen him for themselves. And they had watched what Rome did to him. And then they watched him come back to life. And it was that story, that eyewitness account, that let me tell you what I've seen, that launched the early church and gave us the faith that you and I have inherited today. This was a group of uneducated women and men in an obscure part of the world who watched the the leader that they put all their hopes in get absolutely humiliated and shamed and murdered by the government. That they waited in that despair as it looked like it was all unraveled. But then he came back to life. And they got to talk to the person who had conquered death. And that perspective of seeing the resurrected Jesus forever changed them, forever marked them. They would not be the same people they were. Not because of uh, some great theology they had, but they had seen the living Jesus. And it is what catapulted the early church. It is why you and I are here today. And so the most compelling reason I have, why, why do I think the resurrection makes sense? Because it was all they had. It was the only thing that could have done what we see throughout history, this incredible faith that goes from obscurity to, to reaching the, 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 all the globe. How did that happen? Because they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And here's a fun question to think about. If you go back to the early church, what would the early church be afraid of? Like imagine trying to scare them. What would, what would the early church be afraid of? And again, Rome tried. They threatened them. They were going to do this to you. And if you know the early church history, it was gory and graphic. And they would, they would crucify Christians and they would put Christians on poles and stakes and literally light them on fire to light the streets. They did all they could to stamp out this faith. But can you imagine if you had seen Jesus get killed you had watched all of that, and then you talked to him afterward, how would that have shaped your perspective of life? Like, what would you be afraid of? Hey, if you don't, if you don't denounce this, we're gonna kill you. Okay, I, I saw what Jesus did, I'm good. I mean, you would have a totally different perspective, and that's what we find in history. That the early church just wasn't afraid. The things that you and I would be so fearful of, they're like, yeah, We'll do it. We'll choose that. The early disciples, most of them were martyred for their faith. And yet they weren't afraid because they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And that's what I love about resurrection. You cannot contain resurrection power. In fact, one of the funniest you know, jokes of, of Easter is, is when they say to the, the Roman centurions, go and secure the tomb. Make sure it is as secure as you can. It's like, good luck. Good luck with that. Because you cannot contain the power inside. This resurrection power will not be stopped by a stone in front of a tomb. This this power is going to keep bleeding over. It is going to keep overflowing. And it happens even today. And this is incredibly good news. Because you and I need 
resurrection power. We need this not just to be a story that we can read about and go, wow, that's so cool that that happened once. We need this to be a story that we can interact with in our lives today. My, uh, one of my kids, we have five, uh, our second is that kid that always is getting into weird stuff and he's always injured and, uh, and so I'm just kind of used to that. Uh, I was in a, uh, going on a trip with uh, another friend and uh, speaking somewhere, I don't remember, and, and I get a phone call from my wife and she says, hey, I need to tell you what, what Matson did. And I'm like, oh no. She's like, he swallowed a nickel. I think he was like seven at the time. And I'm like, he swallowed a nickel. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, what do you do? You know, what, what, what's the protocol? She's like, I don't know. I've got to call into the doctor. I'll let you know. Okay. She calls me back a little bit later. I hate to talk to the doctor. I'm like, all right, what's the deal? She's like, well, he has to get the nickel out. I'm like, okay. And she's like, we have two options. Option one is surgery. Option two is he has to pass it. I'm like, what do you mean pass it? Now, in case you're not following with this story, that refers to a bodily function that we assign a number to and it's not the number one, okay? Um, so I don't wanna get graphic with you, but, uh, but he's gotta pass it. And if he doesn't pass it, he's gonna have to have surgery. They'll have to cut him open, go inside of him and remove this nickel. This is a big deal. He can't have this nickel in him. And so this began a very bizarre period uh, for about a week in our house uh, where we had to get our, our son who's, Fully potty trained, we got a little porta potty kid toddler training thing uh, because we had to sift through <laughs> his business every time. Because if this nickel didn't come out, my son had to have surgery. And, and I can tell you, there was a bizarre tension in our family that week. My prayer life was rather bizarre that week. Jesus, I need to call in a favor. I need you to pass this nickel out of my son. I need you supernaturally do what you gotta do to his insides to get this nickel to work its way out. And so literally uh, we'd, have, you know, we'd all be doing whatever and Matson would be like, all right, I gotta go to the bathroom. And we're like, okay, everybody. <laughs> you know, we'd gather around, put the thing in the bathroom for him and then we would just wait. And we'd all pray, we're all huddled around. Come on, Jesus, let this be the day. Get that nickel out, come on. And then he'd come out and we'd sift through it and no nickel, no nickel, everybody. Oh man. And, and as a dad, I'm thinking, I don't want my son to have to have this invasive surgery where they go in and try to get this nickel out of him. And he's scared and he's like, dad, I don't wanna have surgery. I'm like, I know, bud. He's like, what can I do? I'm like, I don't know, eat prunes? Like, let's figure some stuff out. Like, I don't know how to get this thing out of you. We'll, we'll figure it out, bud. And every day we're, we're trying and we're, we're praying and every day we're going through the same bizarre ritual. And it is weird. And yet these are things you do as a parent for your kid. And we need this to come out because it cannot stay this way. And then one day, guys, I gotta go. We all huddle around and he goes and we're sifting through it and we see a nickel. Oh, friends, there is celebrating and rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I mean, we are high-fiving. We're running laps around the house. The nickel is out. No surgery. He's been healed. I mean, it was like a big day in our family. And I just remember the celebration of that. And as bizarre as that story is, you're not likely to forget it. Here's what I would tell you. That's an incredible illustration of my life. 
there are so many things in my life that I'm like, God, I need something to change here. I need you to show up here. I need this to, this has got to get resolved. Something's going to have to happen. It's either going to go that way or that way, God, please. And I need there to be a power. I need there to be something beyond my own control. And the incredible reality of the resurrection is that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to you and I this very moment. I don't know what is in your life right now. I don't know what you're praying through right now. I don't know what you're stuck on right now. I don't know what you're going, this has gotta get fixed or it's gonna be bad. But there's resurrection power available to you. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter eight. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And friends, here's the good news. This isn't like, oh, when you die, this will, this will kick in. This is right now. This spirit lives in you right now. Where do you need resurrection power in your life today? Where's that thing that, that maybe you're not even comfortable praying about it. You didn't even think it made sense to ask. But if the resurrection really happened, if this group of misfits changed the world because of what they had seen, maybe that same power is available for you and I today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for this incredible story. And, and truly, it was all they needed to launch the church, what they had seen. They had seen you die. They watched you come back to life and it changed everything for them. May we have the same sight today to realize that if they had seen it and they were willing to give their lives to this, that same power can be at work in our life today. And so I pray for everyone, whether they're here or at NIWAT or watching online, that you would meet them in their own moment of being stuck, wherever they need resurrection power. And God, I pray that you would reveal yourself, that the same power that raised you from the grave would be at work in us today as your spirit moves in us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Oh, 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 oh,